This is Top Floor, episode 14. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash 14. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Since 2007, T. Hunter has served as president and CEO of Hunter Hotel Advisors, an investment advisory firm focused specifically on the hotel industry. Despite or perhaps because of Hunter's focus on individual hotel owners and investors, Hunter Hotel Advisors is a top three hotel brokerage firm with more than $4 billion in sales over the last four years. As we headed into lockdown in March of 2020, Teague kicked off Teague Talks, his weekly video podcast designed to stay on top of emerging trends and keep the industry connected. Teague Talks quickly became a must-watch on Fridays, including discussions with heavy hitters like Hilton CEO Chris Nassetta and the late CEO of Marriott, Arnie Sorensen, among many, many others. Hunter is also famous for its annual conference held in my hometown of Atlanta for more than 30 years, considered the kickoff of hotel investment conference season. Today, Teague and I are going to talk about the state of the industry, what we should look forward to, and how indoor golf may or may not have changed his life. But first, we need to grab the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning marketing questions. You can submit your own at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Babs. And Babs asks us, A lot of people I know are experiencing pandemic burnout, especially hospitality professionals. What's a good holiday gift to say thank you? All right, Teague, you're going to have to reveal your Christmas shopping list. What do you got? (laughs) That's hysterical. I mean, I think a plane ticket anywhere would be something I'd love to receive. We've all been trapped for far too long. So go travel somewhere. That is a wonderful gift suggestion. And it should be at the beach too. Spas are always better when you're staring at an ocean. I could not agree more. <laughs> so for the very first episode of this show, I interviewed my sister, Kat Meek. She's a restaurant owner and real estate investor. And we talked a lot about the fact that she and I worked together a bunch when we were in college. And then she started a company with her husband and they worked together every day for like 20 years. After a couple of decades of working with your dad and your brother, what advice would you give to family members who work together? <laughs> yeah, I have a good therapist. Um, no, listen, I'm very fortunate. I mean, obviously, I grew up with my father and brother. Uh, and for me, I couldn't have had a better mentor. I'm a big believer you need mentors in life, right? People to show you the path, whether it's a coach, whether it's a teacher, you need something. And I couldn't have asked for anything better than my father. He genuinely cared for our success. So he was willing to put himself out there, take risks, put us out there, uh, share, share relationships, share knowledge, 
that maybe the normal sort of boss might not care for. And I think I have, uh, I like to think, that's been very impactful to me and my management style for our team. I mean, I genuinely care about my team members and their success in their career and in their life. As far as my brother goes, that's brotherly love. You know, older brother, younger brother, those dynamics never change. And I think that we're a good uh, complement to each other. I'm very outgoing. I tend to be very big picture. My ideas may not always uh, have merit. Lee is a very detailed-oriented person, so our strength kind of complement each other. And when you're family, you don't mind tackling each other uh, when it's necessary. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. I, you know, I always refer to my business coach, who is actually my mom, and I just call her with every business question I have. Do you go to your your dad or your brother more, or do you look outside when you've got like a problem that you're trying to figure out? Oh, it's funny. I, I go to a lot of people, a lot of team members as well. Uh, father is always there for the lending hand, you know, early on, he was teaching everything. So he just followed and listened and absorbed, et cetera. He's less involved in the business today, but, uh, we have regularly checkups. And when I get frustrated today, I probably call and vent to him more than anything else. Uh, it is for call for advice, but it's nice that you got someone who knows it and has been there, uh, and has done that. That makes a lot of sense. I know you obviously grew up in the hotel investment business, but your first job when you left college was for IBM. What brought you back to hotels? Oh, I hated corporate America. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a good answer. Uh, that's an obvious question. So yeah, you know, listen, when I, by growing up in it, I mean, it really does sort of matter. I mean, I, I can vividly remember being on vacation with mom and dad and Lee and you driving from Atlanta to Florida um, and, and you stop along the way because that's what you do when you're in the hotel business. You stop and walk hotels and have meetings with hotel owners. Uh, and I vividly remember the first thing I remember being taught. My dad taught me when you walked into a hotel room, he said, Teague, what's the first thing you do? I don't know. Well, it's smell. Take a deep breath. Because after you've been in the room a while, you get accustomed to it. Oh, that's so the so first thing you want to do is what do you smell? What and, and mold and mildew in the South is part of what you're looking for, but yeah. what else? What did you pick up? Or hopefully, what you do you not smell? <laughs> or hopefully, you do not smell. Uh, but you know, again, this is a long time ago 30 plus years ago. And, uh, you know, we're just kids. And I would always jump out of the car and be like, Dad, can I come with you? And he'd be like, I'm kind of meeting a client. Uh, okay. Who wants to bring their kid to the office? But I loved it. I loved everything about it. Um, so I think probably subconsciously in the back of my mind, I always had that, that I'd eventually probably join dad. But I was also that sort of, I don't know, bratty, uh, egotistical kid that I'm going to go take on the world. So it was no dad, I'm not coming to work for you. And dad sort of didn't encourage it. He was like, no, no, you guys need to go blaze your own paths. Uh, so I left, started at IBM, thought that was great. That was my, that was my idea of tech. At the time. Yeah, of course. So it was my, my early adopter. I was like, was yeah, like technology, your, that's the future. Your thermal paper fax machine situation. <laughs> and it, no, it's exactly right. We were, I, you know, we were selling servers and, uh, you know, the internet was sort of just in its infancy. But I started there, I'm aging myself here, but it was in the late 90s. So that was sort of the dot-com era as well. So Qualcomm and Sun Microsystems and even IBM. I mean, all these companies were uh, Dell we're just, we're just in their infancies and just getting started. So I, I thought that was the hot stuff. Uh, again, I, I fairly quickly realized that corporate America is not where I wanted to be. 
I like actually doing things and accomplishing things. And corporate America, I mean, we the last straw was sort of we had a meeting to plan that year's meetings. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted it. to go talk to customers and sell some stuff and get things done. And that's not what we were doing. We were talking internally. So after holding my father off and telling him, no, thanks, sir. I'm going to go blaze my own trail. Uh, after three years, I came and begged him for a job. <laughs> Understood. Yes. Did you work in the family business in high school and college? Or did you have other kinds of jobs, like more typical high school jobs? Uh, yeah, not really. I mean, I did a little bit. Of, we would do like surveys for dad and stuff, like number of hotels built in, in the US before Star and Lodging Econometrics. Uh, so we did those. But my first real job that I had, because I was dad kicking me out of the nest again, was uh, was as, at a hotel at a Holiday Inn, Powers Ferry in Atlanta, uh, that I wear as a bellhop. Oh, so nice. It was a bellhop at a Holiday Inn, and I had the early shift, right? So I had the seven to three shift. And as you probably could guess, not a lot of people check in <laughs> and need help with their luggage at 7 a.m. in the morning. So I found myself just a young kid running around and trying to find out what everybody did. So I f- would help out at the front desk. I would made best friends with a night auditor, got him to explain to me everything that he did. Um, then front desk, front desk manager, then the F and B manager, then running the, running the restaurant. Uh, I would happily run stuff to rooms. I would check people, whatever they needed to do. I was happy to do it just because I wanted to learn. I, there- I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I didn't know. Was there anything that was surprising to you as you were going through your sort of self-styled internship at the Holiday Inn? I, listen, again, I'm a people person. So the, I, I was most attracted to the people. I mean, honestly, the head bellman at the time just was very dynamic. And he had been there forever. And he would was street smart. And he could teach you all the little tricks of the trade and what to do and how to make a little more in your tip and how to help out. And and I think I was fascinated by that. We became very close, very close friends very quickly. If you haven't read it yet, you have to read the book Heads and Beds. It's about somebody working Bell and all of the very interesting, intriguing tricks that they pull. I loved it so much. I mean, that's what makes our world go round. Absolutely. <laughs> So after not seeing the distressed hotels sort of sell off, we expected last summer and fall, apparently hundreds of billions in assets are expected to trade over the next few quarters. Can you talk about why that is? What are the business conditions that result in this happening now versus before? Yeah, um, and that's a good question. So let's go back. I mean, one the pandemic hit and everything just sort of stopped. And we even were nervous that we wouldn't have a company because we knew transactions were over for for a while. Um, You know, we made terrible decisions like not laying anyone off and, and even adding a couple of of team members because, you know, selfishly we wanted a company when all this stuff came back, but there wasn't a lot of distress to your point. And I think, I mean, there was a ton of distress, but the banks were taking it back. And there's two, there's a couple, um, it's long-winded, but one, banks don't fundamentally want the hotels. They don't want it. You keep it. And the banks were very quick to, hey, we'll give you a six months deferment, right? We'll we'll just, don't pay us. We'll lump it on the back end of your loan uh, and we'll be there. So, oh, by the way, we were all very flush with cash. Banks were flush. Everybody had been doing very well. So there was a nice cushion in there where they could absorb it. Then it just sort of took longer than everyone expected. 
right? Oh yeah, three months, six months, this whole thing will be over. We'll be right back to what we're doing. Oops, that wasn't the case. So everybody had to start making some difficult decisions. I do think that some distress will come in the future, but I think that's what we're seeing right now. There's the difference between the haves and the have-nots. And the have-nots, the bank's attitudes are over. We're not going to work with you anymore. If you're not making it by now, give us the keys uh, and we're moving on. I think borrowers are okay with that. If, if their hotel's not working, they're done. They're in capitulation, so they're handing it over. Um, there's still not a ton of that right now. I do think more will come next year, but not of any significance. What we are seeing right now is just a wave of cash. Everyone has cash. I mean, you know, I guess when you're printing seven, okay, now $9 trillion, uh, it's got to go somewhere. So interestingly enough, our hotel values are up and our hotel values are higher today than they were in 2019, which if we all remember was the peak in our industry. Uh, and it doesn't make sense. I can't really explain it. I'll try. But my biggest explanation is look at the stock market. Why is the stock market at all-time high? When we're still recovering, not all of our businesses are open. Yes, some are doing very well. Some tech businesses are doing well. Some hotels, drive-to, leisure, all that stuff that we know, uh, Florida beaches, Miami, those are doing better than they've ever done. So there have been some real windfalls. Uh, there have also been some, sh some shortfalls. Conventions are not back as where they were. The group business is not back where it was. Um, and I think that still going to take some time to come back. The business traveler is not back, but everyone firmly believes that that person is coming back. Somewhere in there is inflation, meaning it's going to cost more to build that hotel in the future. So I'll pay you a number today for that new shiny hotel. I'll pay you 300000 a key today for that new shiny Marriott AC, because I think it's going to cost more than that tomorrow. Oh, that I hadn't thought of that. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's not really in anyone's business model officially, but it is. That's part of the reason. They're all flush with cash and they got it out, get it out. So they're going to new, shiny, uh, main and main urban city center, even though the business traveler is not yet back. And so the hotels are still sort of running 50% numbers. Some of them are doing incredibly well, but not all of them. But I think there's super cheap debt. And when you're borrowing 70%, interest rates matter. So when you're borrowing in the twos, you can pay a little bit more for that asset. Right. And you want to be open today. And then everyone believes we're going to come roaring back. Oh, by the way, the joy of the hotel industry, right, is that we have to rent the room every night. So we can effectively raise rates very quickly if and when needed. And I think you're going to start seeing that. So as inflation, which I do believe is real and not transitory and is here, wages are going to rise. Supply things are going to cost more. Cost of, oh, goods. By the cost of goods. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Cost of goods is going to, is going to cost more. Um, everything's going to, going to cost more, but in the hotel space, you can raise rates, pass it along to the consumer. And I think that's a safety net that they're counting on. So I'm a hotel owner, say, and yes. I have been kicking the can on my CapEx and you know my property improvement plan, whatever it is. And I've decided that it's time to sell. How can a hotel owner now best demonstrate value after a pretty dismal last two years. I know that there are a lot of companies that are doing their underwriting sort of based on 2019. But to your point, we were all thinking 2019 was like the precipice of the cliff, the, the peak of the cycle. So I'm curious about if that makes sense or is it more important to have had strong 2019 results, a clear path forward or something else? Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So we, we like to have our cake and eat it too. So if your 2019 numbers were higher than 2021, we sell off of 2019. If 21 is higher than 2019, then we sell off of 2021. <laughs> Welcome to Miami, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, that feels fair. Yeah. So okay. For most, again, a clear path is very uh, valuable. Um, ironically, we're selling hotels, follow this, for more money if you were not open in 2019. So if you don't have a track record that I have to sell against, if I can make up new pro forma numbers, so let me show you how we're going to do in the future. Oh, by the way, it means it's new and shiny and it's what everybody sort of wants. So I can sell that hotel for more money than if you were open in 2019. Wow, that's really interesting. And I think, think a lot of people were scratching their heads about the projects that continued, the development projects that continued through the pandemic. Like, yes. how are these people doing this? But now I get it. Now I see why that made sense. Well, they they were all more lucky than good, than smart. Mm-hmm. These are battleships and they're moving forward. And when you have designs and you bought the dirt and you've got a loan from the bank and you were under construction, it is really hard to stop that train. Interesting. So people just closed their eyes and said, you know what? By the time we're open, hopefully the world will be back and we'll be opening up into that. And I think they've gotten, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but lucky with the inflation piece that it means it's cost more because construction prices are still very expensive today. So it costs a really a lot more to build a hotel today than it did pre-pandemic. Gotcha. What about this deferred maintenance or incomplete PIP situation, how does that impact value? What I'm trying to ask here is if I want to sell... So again, we're pretending that I own a hotel. Right. Should I try... Susan Berry. Yes, this is the Susan Inn. Should I try to catch up on some of that deferred maintenance or or that kind of thing? Or should I be just adjusting my price accordingly and, and washing my hands of it? The simplest answer is just adjust your price accordingly, wash your hands of it, move on. Um, depends on who you are. If you if that's what you do and you can renovate it cheaper than the next person, you might consider doing it, but you're not going to get much credit for it. Now, on the other hand, you're not going to get dinged. So maybe that's a wash, but you're going to have renovation impact on your operations. That's going to reflect the numbers. That's very hard to calculate. So everyone just says, oh, that's what your numbers were. I'll pay you a cap rate based off of your numbers. Oh, but we were in heavy renovation. So you should pay us this pro forma. No, we're not going to do that. Got it. And, so better and, to to yes. maintain or work on your cap rate, your operating model yes. versus... Okay, that's interesting. Yes. Skinny up your, uh, your expenses and increase your NOI and then sell it. So little did the listener of this podcast know that I was really just having you on to have a class where I was going to learn how to do this for the Susan Inn. What kind of hotels, besides the the shiny new thing that you talked about, what kind of hotels are investors interested in right now? I know Extended Stay was super hot for a minute there. Is that still the case? Is it leisure? Have people moved on? Or is there something emerging, a new kind of hotel that people are really hot on right now? No, listen, you're spot on. You make a great hotel investor. Uh, there's some company looking for a cheap investment officer. Um, there, so everything you just said. So uh, leisure, obviously, I'll start there. Everyone loves leisure. So anything leisure, uh, everybody's dying to have. And those values have gone up significantly. And Central Business District is 
fine. Uh, new and shiny is what everyone also wants. So the old suburban group hotel, that's what's out of favor. The other nuance that you actually mentioned, so I'm impressed, is extended stay. And that gets even more nuanced between high-end extended stay and more mid-market and budget. And today, the real one they love is the mid-market and the budget markets. That is, that is the new hot topic that everyone's trying to get into. And the interesting part is there's just not a lot of that that's out there. So pay attention right now as we're speaking. Everybody can Google, but Brookfield even just announced today, they are loosely considering the sale $1.5 billion. They own 100-something Wood Spring Suites, which is a choice franchise product. And it's a mid-market extended stay. So the average length of stay there is 15 days instead of five days at a homewood or a residence inn. That's so interesting. And the reason is they really act like apartments. And so their cash flow is really strong. Really strong. And so everyone's chasing cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. So they like it. The trick is, is when we slap a cap rate on an A cap, it ends up being 150000 a key and you can build them for 100000 a key. So it's well above replacement cost. Huh. But, but that's how strong they cash flow. So that's why all the institutional money and the individual money, every, that is the spot where everybody's racing to right now. Okay. So I have this thing that I've honestly been rolling around in my brain for probably 20 years in the Let's hotel business, which is the idea... I, I didn't coin this phrase, but this encapsulates it perfectly, of the boutique motel. Yeah. So that it's that exterior corridor, sort of mid-century. There's some great examples like the... Uh, there's a place called the Lone Star outside of Austin. Yeah. That's a really perfect one. What Have you heard anything about that? Am I on to something or should I shut my mouth and start building one? Uh, yeah, go do it. I, everyone wants to do it now. So um, it's not a new concept. Everyone's... It's a new chic thing to do. The good news is... I don't know if good news. There's not a lot that have actually been done. So there's not a lot that have been open. And I do just personal opinion. I think, I think it's a brilliant idea. I think it's really going to work kind of like vintage cars and, and the like, you just got to do it with the right product, the right hotel. It's got to be in the right market and the right location. My opinion, it doesn't work just for your old roadside motel. That doesn't work. How come? But um, I, I think we're still... I mean, maybe it will, but you got to do it in volume, right? So the roadside stuff is still the McDonald's. We're still sort of a brand-driven world where the reason all that worked is because you knew what you were going to get. Okay, When you go show up to McDonald's, you know what you're going to get every time, consistency. Same with any of the Motel 6 or Hampton Inn or the, any of those, you know what you're going to get. But now we're all looking for a more unique experience, right? But I'm not sure that the Road Warrior is there yet. But when you go to Austin and it's more of a destination or a beachfront or a beach town or anything like that, I definitely think they're looking for it. The, the irony as we would have it is that those those hotels, motels, which were super cheap, have now become expensive because they're... <laughs> Everybody knows. The ones that are left, so many yes. of them have been demolished or yes, have turned correct. into flop houses or whatever. Correct. I know neither one of us probably wants to spend much time looking backward, but I do have to ask about the 2021 conference. The Hunter Conference was the first of the industry shows to return to in-person this year, which... I and lots of other people thought demonstrated some real leadership on the part of Hunter. You know, the idea if our industry is predicated on travel, we need to figure out how to do it safely and we need to do it ourselves. So, aside from probably what were a few 
sleepless nights and some heartburn leading up to it. What were the business outcomes for for you, both good and bad, of going first? Yeah, listen. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. We were scared to death. I mean, we were literally like it was a big risk, and and the risks were lots of fold. Uh, one, even financially. I mean, our budgets that we saw when you have to make go no go decisions, we were gonna lose a fortune just with the number of attendees that we thought would show up. With you know, just what we thought the outcomes, the sponsorship dollars, etc. And so we took a big risk, or I mean, a big risk. And my bet was a couple of fold, but one was I just fundamentally believed in our industry and in our conference attendee. I felt like I know them and we were all one giant family. And I just felt from conversations and et cetera, that they were dying to come, that they one wanted to get out and wanted to see people and wanted to get back to business and wanted to get back a sense of normalcy. I felt like we had an obligation, especially being in the hotel industry, to show it's okay, we can do this, right? I, I joke, if I was in the self-storage business, we probably wouldn't have had a conference. <laughs> but we're in the hotel business. I said, we need to go. I'm going to put myself out there. And I think that people will follow. I think I, I just had a lot of confidence that our attendees would be there to support us and that they wanted to be there. So our sense of responsibility was massive. Oh, by the way, I thought we had to do it safe. I thought we had a responsibility to them to do it safe. Uh, I cheated a little bit. We kicked, we had to make the go, no, go decision in January. And so it was early January. But when I got back from the holidays, one, the vaccines were out. Okay. But two, I came back from the holidays and in my quick business conversations and personal conversations, people were getting the vaccine. It was early January. And we weren't expecting anything to happen until March or April or May. And in January, people were getting the vaccine. So that was an early indication for me. I said, people are going to have it. By May, just to calculate a guess, by May, anybody that wants one can get one. And I was, we were early. And then we But just you were got, right. <laughs> we were right. And so then we just, I don't know, got lucky that by May, and check all the charts, the, the, the cases were way down. Everyone had gotten vaccines. We were in a perfect little sweet spot for uh, everything that was happening in the world and industry with COVID. And oh, by the way, everyone was dying to get out. So when we had it, it was a party. It was a celebration. It was a reunion. Everyone was, you know, start out with a, you know, distance and then a handshake. And then by the end, everyone's hugging everyone, big hugs, just happy to be back seeing people. We are a people world. We are a people industry. We need people. We need networking. This is how we do business. This is how businesses gets done. And just like the TikToks podcast, we need to commiserate. Oh my gosh, what have you done here? Oh my goodness, how did you get through this? Oh, I haven't seen you in forever. How did you handle? How did you make out? Oh, that's so good. I was so worried about you. So I know that you're a big picture guy. I'm a big picture guy too. But I force myself to ask these very specific questions because we really like to make sure that our listeners come away from each episode of Top Floor with some practical and tangible tips to try in their businesses. I heard about a sort of non-traditional marketing initiative that y'all have put in place in your offices. So I'm going to ask about it. Not Rumor... sure where you're headed with this, but let's go. <laughs> Rumor has it that you have installed a state-of-the-art indoor golf simulator. <laughs> Tell me about it, how it works, and why you got it. Oh, that is hysterical. I'm not sure who told you that, but you should come. You should come visit us. It's, it's great. So we did. We installed a golf simulator. So we moved offices two years ago. 
And, um, you know, perfect timing to sign office lease, then a pandemic hits. Um, <laughs> and one of our team members saw on the, you know, sort of budget, uh, again, I'm very open management style, asking everyone their opinion, but saw that on the, uh, on the new budget for the new office was the conference room. And I came in and said, uh, hey, you know, boss, for the same price, we could get a golf simulator. I said, instead of a conference room? Instead of a conference room. Okay. So I was curious. So I said, explain more. So next thing you know, we're looking into golf simulators. And uh, and next thing you know, we're buying one. And it's the best thing we that we did. I mean, I, you know, I batted around the team and it was a it was an out there decision. We literally do not have a conference room. We took the conference room, scrapped it, and put it in a golf simulator. And it is a full, full state of the art. I mean, it is awesome. Uh, and it was one of the best decisions we've ever done. One, um, so we moved that, but the golf simulator, and it is, and at first I was like, ah, oh, we're only going to use it, you know, for the first month and then we'll stop. No, we use it all the time. <laughs> I mean, all the time. I probably use it the most. I can get on conference calls. I can walk in there, put a headset in, go on mute, uh, swing. It helps you stretch. It helps you stay loose. Uh, I'm very ADD. So when I just need to move around, I head in there, it helps me focus. Um, in the afternoons, we'll have team golf outings where we'll pick a, uh, a course and all play it. There's a nice, so it's camaraderie. Uh, I think the, the obvious thing that we didn't, weren't smart enough, but the whole retention and recruiting. So, and everyone that walks in, whether it's the employees, they love it. The team loves it, whether it's uh, clients that come in and, you know, why do you want to go to dinner or let's go to dinner or uh, let's come up here, come up at five o'clock and let's play around to Pebble Beach. Okay, so let me ask you about that. Yes. What's the value of them, of your clients and business partners coming to your office versus like meeting somewhere offsite or going to dinner? Well, I love it when people come to the office. Um, and normally we're brokers, so we normally go to them, right? We're the salesperson. But because of our setup, they actually do. I'm finding them more and more, they come to us. The golf simulator is a huge draw, and we always play in there. But more business, which is a more boring answer. We had a I have in my office, we have a couple of them, but I have in my office a giant um, touchscreen uh, television that is a computer. So we pull up all of our spreadsheets and all of the uh, sort of business things that we're doing. And I can quickly show you, show everybody, we can walk through a thousand hotels and their top line P&Ls in 10 minutes. If you come to the office, I can show you, we can Google Earth, whatever we need to Google. We can zoom in and we can be very, very productive in a short amount of time. That's really interesting. And then play around a golf. So, and then we go play around a golf. We have chipping contest or a putting contest, or we play three holes and loser loser buys dinner. I have got to try this. I mentioned my sister earlier in this conversation. She and I, when we were like young, burgeoning, young professional women, decided that we needed to take golf lessons so that we could do business on the golf sure. course. Yes. And my sister kicked ass. And my golf pro said to me, <laughs> this may not be your sport. It's maybe more expensive than it's worth for you, Susan. So listen, maybe I should try the indoor golfing. That might work. <laughs> Come, you practice. It's great. Listen, we love golf. We play a ton of it, but, um, but, but not as much as we would like to. I mean, it's a, it's a full day. It's a full commitment. We can be a lot more effective on an indoor golf course. It, it takes an hour to play around versus four and a half. I, I like to ask all of my guests to do a little fortune telling. I know you've probably already done your fair share of that for me here today, but I do want to know what's next for you and Hunter and the conference. 
All right. All great questions. So for us, for Hunter, we're actually very excited. So we, we've been very fortunate in 2021. We survived 20 like everyone. We actually had a great 20, but we survived 20 like everyone. 21 has been incredibly busy as it has been for the entire transaction industry. Uh, most people, many people, not all, but a lot of people are going to set records in 2021 and beat their transaction volume for 2019, which is saying a lot. And 2022, it looked even better. Uh, we have hired this month, we've hired four new team members. Uh, that we're very excited about. Spencer Davidson's joining us up in New York. Sophia Pitaluga is joining us in Miami. Allie's and Victor are joining us here in Atlanta. So Allie's uh, helping Chief of Marketing and Victor's uh, analyst. So we're growing and we're still constantly interviewing. We do not have enough. We need more. We, we have to grow our capital. I'm getting boring on you, but we have to grow our capital markets team. We have a easy $10 million business that we are not uh, taking advantage of right now. Uh, capital markets are doing the debt and financing for people. Hey, if you don't want to sell your asset, let us recapitalize it. Uh, a lot of people want to do that. If, let me just put long-term debt on it and hold it for a while. And again, they trust us. We're very good. We're not salesmen. We are truly advisors. I think we're very unique in what we do, Hunter Hotel Advisors. And we're, we advise. Like, I, I don't care about this transaction. We do 100 transactions a year. So one transaction is not going to make or break our year. So we can truly say, here's what's best for you. So our clients come into the office, sit down. We go through all of their hotels, of what they own. We have the P&Ls and everything. We go through it. We put it up on a chart. We put our number by it. They put their number by it. And then we talk strategy. All right, we sell in this year. We sell in next year. We sell in five years. Here's what these are worth today. Here's what we need to do to hit our proper returns. And I think that helps. So we are very heavily involved with our clients at every level. Okay. Since you've been doing your show for at least a year longer than I have, what advice do you have for me? Listen, I think you're doing great. I mean, one is just do it. Okay. Uh, And actually, my advice for everyone, the thing that I learned and my advice myself was just don't be afraid to put yourself out there. So I tend to be, I mean, a very outgoing person, but I tend to be very private. I don't have an internet presence to speak of. I I don't know why anyone cares to see my family vacation or that I'm at the World Series. Um, It's a little too showy, but. Um, again, we tripped into this, uh, but I think I, I, people have really embraced it. They really liked it. I think we're doing a service. So I think you're doing the same. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. And and I think if you're, I think you're a natural at it. So let me say that. I think you're very good. And if you naturally enjoy it, and if there's a passion, I've gotten a lot out of it as well. So if there's a passion for it and you can get stuff out of doing it every time, an excitement, you learn stuff from your guests. If you truly enjoy it, if it's at work and it's a job, don't do it. Don't do it. Pass. But if you really love it and it's what sort of makes you go and makes you tick, then lean in. Don't be afraid to lean in. Again, not everyone's going to love what you do. You're going to have some detractors, but ignore all the noise, have confidence in yourself and just keep going. All right. The fishing for compliments segment of this show has <laughs> now concluded. And before we tell T goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. So you want a story. Uh, so listen, I'm in the hotel business, right? And the real estate side. So there are thousands of hotel stories that we can tell you. Uh, my earlier day stories were a whole lot better. But I, so my question is, I'm wondering, I'm in my head right now, I'm wondering, do you want to hear the one about when we were on a property tour and we got the gun pulled on us? Yes. Okay. Or <laughs> the one where we were greeted in the parking lot by a naked lady. Yes. Or the one where we actually had 
who heard a gunshot and had it go through the windshield what? or the meth labs that have been built or what I do think is my personal favorite. When we had a closing, uh, one of our good friends, it was his first hotel he'd ever bought. He couldn't qualify for the loan, but his wife could. But the closing date, she was in labor. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she is at the hospital giving birth to their first child. This is not a joke. Giving birth to their first child. And he is running back and forth from the closing attorney's office to the delivery room to get his wife to sign the documents so they could buy their first hotel. Did she punch him in the jaw? No, I, mean... I think they're still married. I think they're still married. <laughs> but when I, his reaction was fine. We were like, hey, we can kick this. We can punt this closing. You know, we can like, this is a good excuse. We could pick another day. He said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. This is a magical day. I'm buying my first hotel. I'm having my first born child. This is <laughs> this is happening. That is insane. What did they name the kid? Was it oh, something I, like what? I've forgotten? Holiday Inn. Should be. Yeah, like right. That. Correct. Yes. I hope they did. I have to go check. Teague Hunter, I cannot thank you enough for giving me so much time today. Thank you so much for being here. I know that our listeners learned a lot and took a lot of notes. And I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor. Susan, thank you for having me. You do a great job. Good luck with your podcast. And I can't wait for you to open a Susan Berry boutique motel on the side of the road. This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. With pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women, programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Thanks for joining us today. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash 14. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 